Hey there, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards at pureandsimplebible.com. I'm very thankful that you're with us today. Now, I took a couple weeks off. If you're following chronologically, you might notice there's a lapse in programming, and it's just been a tough time for me. I'm thankful for your patience, and I'm grateful to be back. With me this week is Brother Aaron Boone from the Green Oaks Church of Christ in Arlington, Texas. And today and next week, Aaron has brought a Bible study for us to talk about on Revelations chapter 2 and 3 on the seven churches of Asia, specifically entitled Postmarked Heaven. Could you imagine getting a letter from Jesus? Well, seven churches did, and we're going to talk about those seven churches and what those letters were all about. Are you ready? Let's jump right in, shall we? So you brought in a sermon today called Postmarked Heaven, and I, I knew where you were going with it right at the start because my dad had an old sermon years ago, and he'd pull out an envelope, and he'd be like, what if I told you I had a letter from heaven? You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so there's this uh, great visual in the book of Revelation about uh, you know, something that really happened. Jesus really did communicate to these seven churches, and so we like to today... Uh, take on that, I guess, what if he wrote to us? Yeah. And anyway, so there's this great connection for those of you who are familiar with Revelation 2 and 3, where Jesus writes these letters to the churches of Asia. Uh, there's this great connection where we, when we receive mail, you know, just imagine, could you imagine if Jesus wrote you a letter if it was postmarked from heaven? So I'm wondering if maybe you could begin, uh, if I haven't spoiled it already, with the theme, what what are we going to be talking about today in these couple of chapters in Revelation? Yeah, um, it comes down to this concept, like you said, of writing a letter. But we sometimes, and I have forget forgotten this as well, we forget the, the thought that Christ is present and that there is a relationship that he has with his church mm -hmm. and with the churches throughout uh, the world. And that's really what's being highlighted here. In fact, in Revelation chapter 1, as John is being introduced to this letter, this book that he's about to write, he notes in verse 13 that in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Mm -hmm. And so there's one like the Son of Man in the midst of the seven lampstands. Right. And then he clarifies in verse 20 that the seven lampstands represent the churches. Uh -huh. And so within the churches, Christ is present. And we sometimes forget that, that there is... Christ there, God is there, and he's present within mm -hmm. the church and within each congregation, and there's this personal relationship that he builds with them. He's the bri the, the bridegroom of mm -hmm. the church, and mm -hmm. uh, he wants to have a relationship with his body and with his members. You know, when you say that, um, it, it's not directly related, but just the idea of why we wear the name Church of Christ. Mm -hmm. He's in our presence. Yeah. And so you know, why in the world would he, we ever want to use another name. I don't want to take another name. Just in the same way, could you imagine if your wife or me, if my wife came up and they said, you know, I know, for example, uh, I know our last name is Edwards, but I like the last name Smith better, mm -hmm. and so I'm, I'll take that name. That What a, you know, there's a lot of marriage counseling that's about to happen, right? Yeah. Um, and so the same is with Jesus. I think we're going to wear his name. We wear the name Church of Christ because he's, he's the one who died for us. He's the bridegroom. He's in our presence. So thank you for that. Um, you, you make this point about this wonderfully personal gift that mm -hmm. those churches were given and that we get to be the recipients of as well. Um, 
I think about receiving a letter. You know, young folks, we don't do it maybe as often as uh, previous generations have. Although I do have a box of letters in my garage from when I was a teenager. Because yeah. I, was, I was a teen before, like, uh, AOL, dial-up, you know, yeah. instant chat and stuff. That happened when I was in high school. So when I was in middle school, you know, we'd go to Sulphur. You'd see a friend. And then you weren't going to get to see him until the New Year's meeting. And so we, you know, we did write some letters back yeah. then. So I still got a box of them. But maybe uh, walk me through this concept of why it would have been such a gift for these churches to get what they got. Yeah. Well, um, first off, in this regard, it's from Christ. It's from God. It's a mm-hmm. divine letter. It's from uh, their creator, their savior. As you talked about, it's Christ who shed his blood for them. It's He shed his blood for us. And so the person writing the letter is first off, Right, a special person mm-hmm. to them, and he's going to give them encouragements, rebukes. He's going to help them be better and grow. The content is important to them, uh, so it's a thoughtful uh, right. letter. And that's you know, when regards to boxes of letters, I have them from dating. Um, when we, <laughs> when I dated, we could text, we could call on the phone, but the most intimate thing you could do is write someone a letter, write my girlfriend or uh-huh. her, write me a letter, and I still have those. Because the letter is a letter, writing a letter, it's personal. It shows you put thought into something. It shows right. that you care who you're sending it to, texts or mass media. And so a letter is very personal. And that's what's happening here is each congregation is getting a personal letter. They're not just grouped in with a group of people. Instead, sure, here's your issues. Sure. Here's where you're doing great. Let's expound upon that. Now, you, before we get jump into the, the meat of this study, um, you asked this question, and so I'm going to ask it on your behalf. If the Lord wrote you a letter, what would it say? That's a powerful question. Yeah. Um, this study, then, I guess, I don't have a lot in common with people in the first century. Mm-hmm. But you're using that as kind of this tie-in that, you know what, you do have something in common. Because even if you're not the direct recipient, you're going to get to glean what yeah. they had, right? Yeah. You know, they, they are each in their own unique situation. Each congregation today is in our own unique situation, and mm-hmm. each congregation deals with the goods and the bads in their own ways. Um, and God is writing these letters to these churches in their situations, but there's some timeless truths within them right. that, like you said, we can glean from. Right. We can't take everything, maybe, but there are some things that are still applicable to us today. Okay. Well, uh, we've we've called them the seven churches of Asia. There are seven letters. So my understanding is we're just going to kind of go through and highlight uh, some of the, the good information in each one. So where do we start? Well, we can start, uh, I guess, at the beginning in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, with the first church that's addressed by John um, in his inspired writing to the angel to the church in Ephesus. Mm-hmm. And he's got some rebukes he's got some encouragements for them um, as a congregation yeah and there's this specific rebuke and i'd love to hear your thoughts on it it's uh, that they they're they're told that they they're doing all this good stuff but they left their first love can you maybe unpack that for me i'll do my best <laughs> um i would say you know they left their first love and i mentioned earlier that christ is the bridegroom and in a marriage you would say your your bride or your bridegroom is your first love and so I would say they've left, left their first love in, in that regard, that they've stopped having um, their love for Christ. Now, that doesn't mean they've stopped working for him, in fact, because 
he notes in verse 2, I know your work, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Right. They're doing some things that are, are good and decent, but they've left their love of Christ, and the authenticity of their works has seemed has seemed to disappear. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, later on in verse 5, he says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Mm-hmm. So repent, turn back to Christ, and kind of have that relationship with him once again and keep working. Right. And so it, it seems to go into this concept of both you've left your love for Christ and that is coupled with you've left your authentic working for Christ. They're just doing it out of habit. Sure. It's routine. Um, and that seems to be where he's going with that. Falling into a rut. Sometimes we do that in a marriage relationship. You know, I think about that in order to make sure that you're being authentic. You can't just do the same. I can't just throw flowers yeah. At my wife every day thinking that if all I do is placate with flowers, then so we're going to have a strong marriage. And we, we get that that doesn't work. Yeah. So we're making it as a spiritual connection. Now, you you uh, bring in some other scriptures like uh, John 4, 23, 24. Uh, what does that say and, and how does that apply here in Revelation 2? So John 4 uh, is Jesus, you know, at the well talking to the Samaritan woman mm-hmm. and going through you know, his teachings with her and helping her recognize that, uh, first off, who he is and her amazement at that. And finally, he gets to this point on worship, her question. You know, you Jews worship at the temple. We worship here on this mountain. Where? And he says there's coming this time where uh, that's not going to be the question, but it is for the hours coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Mm-hmm. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Right. And so Jesus is bringing in these two, uh, I would say, complementary terms, spirit and truth. And, you know, you can dive into those deep and have a deep study in regards to this, these two verses. But I think on the surface, as you look at them, he speaks of two attitudes, that is, in spirit, and that is with the right attitude and in truth, in the right, right way. Right. And so Christ is working this... Uh, combination of things. You have the right attitude and the right actions. Mm-hmm. And that's been important throughout time. Yeah. God has always wanted, you know, the right attitude coupled with the right action. I was just reading uh, today in Exodus ch- or Genesis chapter 4 with Cain, you know? Mm-hmm. And obviously his great issue is that he didn't do it in faith. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, right actions, right attitudes, and when you don't have them lined up, Right from the beginning of the Bible, God makes it clear. If, if you do well, will you not be accepted? That's the, So from the beginning, this idea of action and attitude. Now, what I like in your study is uh, you mentioned some additional scriptures kind of at the end of each point. Um, can we go through these real quick? Yeah. How, how does yeah. the Bible across from beginning to end go along with the letter to the church at Ephesus? Yeah. So they've left their first love and... We might imagine if we were receiving this letter, it might have a heading, keep your keep Jesus first. Right. And so Jesus wants them to keep him first. That's where they failed at. They've lost uh, their first love. They've lost their sincerity. Uh-huh. And God throughout Scripture has always wanted his people to keep him first. Right. Remember the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. the first one, Exodus chapter 20. Mm-hmm. You shall have no other gods before me. Right. And so God is recognized as a jealous God. He's recognized as the supreme within everyone's life. Mm-hmm. There is not to be any other gods before him. Yeah, No one, nothing. Um, and the book of Hosea actually goes into 
kind of God's feelings when somebody yes. puts somebody before God. Yeah. And Hosea is such a unique book where God tells Hosea to marry uh, this prostitute because that's going to picture how Israel has treated God right. with idolatry. Mm-hmm. And so when something takes the place of God, God looks at it like adultery mm-hmm. and he takes it as a personal offense against him. And so God throughout scripture is giving this command. He's backing it up, showing his love and how he cares for you. And I said, put me first. Yeah. Show me your love by putting me first where I belong anyway, so mm-hmm. as creator. And so he, he calls us from the very beginning in Exodus 20 with the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Right. Right. You know, uh, if the church at Ephesus was the only letter that we had in Revelation, somebody might come to the conclusion it doesn't matter what you do as long as your heart is right. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, there's other churches who may have had a right heart, but it was their actions. It was their deeds that they were being rebuked for. So yeah. I'll, I'll just throw that out generally that uh, let's not be too hasty yeah. to just look at one church and say, well, that teaches me I can do whatever I want. Yeah. He, he wants your heart, but he also wants your right worship. Now, let's jump into the second one. Um, in chapter 2, verse 8 through 11, so you, you kind of conceptualize the church at Ephesus as keep Jesus first. Mm-hmm. But this next little church um, in Smyrna, you kind of conceptualize it as be faithful unto death. Why do you do that? Well, that's... Uh, we can look at Smyrna for a moment as a very unique congregation. Mm-hmm. And they're unique because of the seven churches, only two received no rebuke. And Smyrna is our first one um, within that you know, special list of two. So in verse 9, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, that you are rich. Mm-hmm. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. There you go. And so, as we kind of noted, only Smyrna and Philadelphia later will see. So two of the seven are really these two congregations who receive no rebuke, no uh, correction because they're doing what's right. They're being faithful even through hard times and trials. Yeah, I'd even note that uh, the faithful churches are not churches that had it easy. Yeah. Right? They both were enduring some pretty tough stuff. So if if you are part of a congregation that is going through a really easy stretch, that might be a red flag, you know, that you, you can work on is that don't think that it's just going to be a walk through the park if you're doing what the Lord wants you to do. Um, I'm looking at a scripture you have. Okay. Uh, it's Second Corinthians 8, verse 9. And you know, it talks about the poverty that Smyrna had. And so you, you make this connection in Second Corinthians 8, verse 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you, through poverty, might become rich. So Smyrna uh, apparently had an issue with poverty and hardship. Uh, we connect it to Jesus who became poor like us. And I guess my question is, um, there's spiritual blessings in poverty. What are they? And, you know, how should I look at poverty as a blessing, especially in our culture, in our country? It seems like poverty is a curse. It's not a blessing. But how can I, maybe if I'm going through rough times financially, uh, put my trust in the Lord? Well, yeah, with 
Smyrna, Paul or John, excuse me, highlights the fact that they're poor, they have poverty, right? But you're rich, and so there's this, you know, comparison between being poor physically and rich spiritually. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the poverty aspect, uh, wealth has very little we might think within Scripture to do with our spiritual blessings, right? Um, in Matthew 19, Jesus condemns. Um, and says it's hard for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm, that's right. But in Matthew 7, the centurion, who's wealthy enough to build the Jews a synagogue, is said to have faith that is not matched in all of Israel. And so wealth can go either way. But the the Beatitudes, the very right. first one, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus knows that blessed are the poor mm-hmm. in spirit. Mm-hmm. And so there is kind of your blessing in poverty that someone who fully comprehends his spiritual poverty and understands that he is totally dependent upon God and needs God. Right. That's where the blessings of poverty comes into our lives. Now, when we talk about physical poverty, it's it's not a curse. It's not a blessing. It's, it is kind of what it is. Things happen in our lives, and it's in those moments, you know, testing and those trials we face. God's called us to pray and mm-hmm. to submit our lives to him. Not that he's going to make us the next Solomon and have wealth beyond compare, but right. uh, to seek him and to seek the comfort he provides in, in those difficult times and to continue to work and be active within mm-hmm. our physical lives and mm-hmm. to seek after him. Right. I like the admonition that they're given. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not given this admonition, you know, just wait a little bit and, you know, it's going to get better. They're just told, be faithful, be faithful to death, be faithful, be faithful, be faithful. This is not the only place in Scripture where... Being faithful is, uh, you know, the general admonition. What are some other scriptures you have written down about being faithful? Well, in, in Matthew uh, 10, verse 22, there's this concept of until death, mm-hmm. that we ought to uh, endure until the end. And it is that, and it's through that endurance that we can be saved. Right. And so the Christian life is not just our beginning. It's not just our end. Right. It is the culmination of our life. Mm-hmm. And so the endurance part, uh, in Hebrews 3, the writer there would note that we ought to beware, that we ought to be faithful Mm -hmm. till the end. Mm -hmm. We can't think, okay, I'm converted, I'm done. Right. And then we'll get to judgment and think we're okay. He says, no, beware. Don't let those things creep into your mind. Instead, be faithful till the end. And Paul, who... um, I don't know if he loves sports, <laughs> but continually writes about athletics. Right. And he uses in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, the concept of a race and running the race for the prize. Yeah. And he knows and notice it notes that the prize isn't won from the from the start. It's not just won at the end. Right. It's won mm-hmm. by the endurance throughout the race. Mm-hmm. And so that's the important concept of the Christian life is it it matters how you start. It very much does matters how you finish, but equally it matters the in-betweens. That's right. Well put. Well, let's jump into the third one. We're talking about the church at Pergamos. And, you know, we mentioned earlier that Smyrna and Philadelphia were the only ones who didn't get a rebuke. So obviously when I say Pergamos, you know, you're obviously thinking, okay, what did they do wrong? Yeah. Um, It says that they lived where Satan's throne is. Let's start there. Will you explain that and then maybe kind of break down uh, what was going on in Pergamos? Yeah, so that's a very daunting thing to be said about (laughs) the city you live in. Right. It's where Satan's throne is. It's like Las Vegas. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
Now, this doesn't mean the church in Pergamos was so wicked and evil that they were Satan's throne. Right. Instead, it speaks to the fact that they lived in a community that was so sinful, mm-hmm. that was so you know ingrained with sin, that it was as if this is where Satan had set up shop. Yeah. This is his throne room. Yeah. And here this church was as a light within the community. Mm. And they weren't perfect. We'll talk about that in a moment. But we might, you know, think about how we live in societies and times very similar. Right. Where everywhere around us, sin is glorified and right. uh, impurity is, you know, lifted up on this pedestal. And it's like, man, this is this is where Satan's throne is. And mm-hmm. that's where Pergamos is. Mm-hmm. They're in this place where Satan's throne is because of the sinfulness of the city they're in. And so Paul, John, excuse me, uh, John gives this, you know, amazing letter to them and Christ to them wants to know, wants them to know that they need to be cautious. Mm -hmm. There's outward corruption. Right. But outward corruption isn't really going to destroy the church. It's inward corruption Uh that is really going to bring it down, especially a local congregation. Right. So the outward corruption really is just the influence. It's yeah. going to be the thing that causes desire or temptation. Yeah. What are they, uh, what, what's, so you're, you're taking this concept of inward corruption. What is, what it specifically is going on here that we could be weary of? Yeah, so in verse 14, it says, but I have a few things against you. So they've been doing good. You know, they've, they've done well at, you know, trying to resist. They have all this outward corruption, but I have a few things against you. Uh-huh. Because you have, they are those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. You taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat the things sacrificed to idols, to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Repent or else I will come. So within the congregation there, they have false doctrine being taught. Mm -hmm. And they don't seem to be driving it out. Right. It's just, it's among them. Right. And it's a part of what they do. Right. You know, the teacher this Sunday morning is going to teach on the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. This is, <laughs> it's who they were. It was a part of their identity now. And that inward corruption was going to be what destroys them. Notice in the beginning section of this rebuke or of his letter to them, he, you know, brings up that they as a congregation have, you know, all this sin around them. Mm-hmm. But they're doing good. They're doing all right. But it's because of this inward corruption, the inward right. false doctrine that he tells them to repent or else he'll destroy them. And so, well, I was just going to say, uh, and this is not the only place in the New Testament where that warning is made. Oh, right? yeah. So could you take us through maybe if people wanted to write down some notes? Uh, what are some other scriptures that would uh, the New Testament shows? We just got to be careful about inward corruption. Yeah. Uh, Matthew 7, verse 15 is a great starting point. Uh-huh. Be careful of wolves and sheep's clothing. Mm-hmm. So that's not outward. That's, again, people trying to come in from among them. And corrupt the flock. Right. What they're going to teach is found in Colossians 2, 6 through 9, where they teach philosophy and empty deceits, and they take them captive through empty promises. And so be careful of those things. When man starts making big promises that Mm -hmm. aren't backed by God, they're not going to follow through with them. And so don't get caught up in uh, those teachings. And Paul is worried for the church everywhere. In 2 Corinthians 11, 3 through 4, Mm -hmm. His worry is that Satan would use the church's preachers, the teachers within the congregation, to pull the congregation away from faithfulness. And that's Satan. Yeah. He's worried that Satan is going to use you know, the faithful preachers, convert them to, or 
uh, lead them into sin and then have them lead the yeah. congregation away. History would show that he did it very well. You know, you yeah. look at a lot of any time that there's outward pressure upon the church, there's typically a time of great growth. You know, we, we respond in the book of Acts. We respond to persecution by the church growing. It, yeah. it goes to new places. It, um, but whenever the persecution or the attack comes from within, that's the time when the church really struggles. And, you know, history has shown that whether it be elders who went on to try to have authority over multiple congregations and they became their own form of government yeah. or preachers who abandoned truth for the sake of their, you know, and that eldership is such a unique thing to see in history and to know that it's recorded in Scripture. Uh-huh. And Second Peter, Peter notes that the false prophets would come up from among themselves, so Second yeah. Peter 2, 1 through 3, and that's already recorded uh, almost in prophetic form in yeah. Acts 20, verse 30, when Paul is teaching or talking to the, to the elders of the church there, and he says, from among yourselves mm-hmm. will men rise up who will lead others away. Well, we're going to pause right here and uh, so people could come back next week to get the, the second half of this. So we've gone through um, in the seven letters to the churches of Asia, we've looked at three, and now we're going to look at the other four, by the way. Well, you're going to have to come back next week if you want to hear the remainder of this Bible study conversation on the seven churches of Asia in a sermon titled Postmarked Heaven. I'm excited for Aaron, for his good work, and for this opportunity to talk with him. And until next week, you can go to the website, pureandsimplebible.com, and you can check out all the resources that are available there, absolutely free to download and use on your own ministry. So, until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.